Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com, the game plan podcast. That means it's Jason Staples and Greg Barnes with me. We'll come to Greg Barnes first. Greg, you know, I remember... I can't remember when it was. Maybe it was after the Clemson game. A lot of North Carolina fans breathed sort of a sigh of relief because there wouldn't be any stud quarterbacks that Carolina had to face again, and it would be easier to defend quarterbacks. And now Carolina's faced a Virginia Tech team that just ran the Baylor offense, it appeared to me. And now you have Duke coming to town, who's ha- who's got another guy that's got legs, and can throw it, um, why would this be any different for North Carolina than the success Virginia Tech had? I mean, we'll get right to it. If if Duke's quarterback's able to do like Virginia Tech's did, Carolina's going to struggle um, stopping that. So why, do, why should North Carolina fans expect anything different on Saturday? Well, we're jumping right in, aren't we, Tommy? Yeah, Look, we did. The- <laughs> We ain't talking about man towers or, you know, nachos. (laughs) Well, I think think what people need to understand is that one of the things we talked about last week is the reason why Ryan Willis uh, was benched, one of the the reasons that he was benched at Virginia Tech is because that offensive line um, really had struggled early in the year. And he he is not a guy that can get out and run. And so they wanted to go to kind of a more dual threat type guy. And uh, Hendon Hooker did that. And Hooker's been pretty good. I mean, Hooker was really good in the first half after you know, the first couple of uh, possessions. And then, as everybody knows, uh, he got hurt. Willis was ineffective because of reasons we've already mentioned. And then, uh, you know, they bring in Patterson, and, and that's how Virginia Tech ends up winning the game. You look at Duke, however, and one of the things that Jay Bateman talked about earlier this week is you know, take Wake Forest, for example. Going into that game, he knew that because they had some deficiencies on the offensive line, that he could line up Jason Strobridge against one of their tackles, and they thought he could win that battle consistently. And so they really schemed around that. And what happened, of course, as we know, Strobridge got out there for pregame warm-ups, uh, and they pretty much told him that, yeah, you, you're not quite there, you can't go. And so Bateman had to kind of scramble and, and try to fix things on the fly. This is not that situation because Duke's offensive line is solid. And one of the things Bateman said is, you know, while we've been able to scheme, uh, take advantage of matchups, you really don't see that against Duke. And they're just very you know, sound, both you know, technically and, and physically up front. And when you combine that with Quentin Harris, who, I mean, let's be honest, he's not like this great passing quarterback but he's good enough 
I mean, he's solid. I mean, he's, he's you know, 12-6 uh, TD, INT. He's completing 61% of his passes. He's been pretty good. But he's also the uh, the top-running quarterback in the ACC. I think he's like top 10 in terms of uh, runners in the ACC this year. So he is a legitimate dual-threat guy, much more so than what North Carolina saw last week. And he's got a pretty good offensive line. Now, Duke's offense has not been spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, not the not the type of highlight reel uh, offense that the Cutcliffe has had at times. And Harris is one of the reasons he's not a big time thrower. Uh, but you know, with the defense that they have, uh, it kind of works. And that's one of the reasons that Duke has had success. Now, when you when you throw in some turnovers, which is what was the problem for them against Virginia, things can get out of hand pretty quickly. But but Harris, yeah, he's going to be a load. And uh, we can talk about defense more later. But I really think, as you mentioned, Tommy, in terms of bowl games type stuff, this is critically important. And this is really going to tell us how good of a OC Phil Longo is because these next three games, Duke, Virginia, and Pitt, in terms of if you look at like S&P plus Bill Connolly's rankings, those are three of the top five defenses that North Carolina will play all year long the other ones being Clemson and South Carolina. So this is going to be a significant test on both sides, uh, but that's one of the reasons that David Clarkliffe is, is willing to kind of lean on Quentin Harris so much is that if they play sound and they don't have turnovers, the defense is good enough to allow them to play that way and they can be competitive and, and win some games. Jason, once upon a time, uh, you wanted to play quarterbacks that couldn't throw it or – we're not as good at throwing it. And now um, basically everybody has a quarterback that can run your thoughts on Dukes Harris. I mean, he's a senior Mac Brown talked about, he's been around, he, he's seen everything. Um, how does Carolina approach it? Let's, you know, let's dig straight into Jay Bateman's approach. I mean, you detailed some issues Carolina had on defense stopping Virginia Tech. I I just see it being a very similar type approach by Cutcliffe because if there's one thing we've seen from Cutcliffe is he's usually going to pick the scab uh, that's most readily available uh, you know, on a team that they're going up against. So Carolina's propensity to shoot the wrong gap or the miss the wrong gap, I, I think that's an issue – Talk about Bateman's uh, plan this week, you think? Well, and I think the first thing to think about here is that it's a little bit of a, you know, it, it hurt against Virginia Tech for sure, but it's a little bit of a benefit against Duke that some of those things got exposed so that some of those mistakes that were made against Virginia Tech are unlikely to be made in terms of getting gapped by a tight end and a wing lined up together and, running quarterback sweep and all of that. And I think some of that was just that they hadn't really prepared for facing that when they played against Virginia tech, what they, what they did when, when they went to the third stringer was different than what they did with the first stringer. And that's when it gets really hard for you as a coordinator is you've prepped for the first two. And then all of a sudden the third one comes in and he's 250 pounds and they're running, running him like a tailback. And he's a, he's a beast. And they can do some things in terms of gaining an extra gap and all that. And you just haven't really repped it as much. And in the first year in a defense, sometimes you're going to have a guy miss, miss an assignment or you're going to have a misalignment 
and and some of those things are going to come up. But then once you've done it and you've corrected it in film, that stuff doesn't happen as much. So it's less likely that a couple of those mistakes will be made against Duke. They'll, I mean, they'll they'll play with some gaps now. They'll they'll fi- they'll try to find other ways to cause confusion, building on the same kind of concepts. So they won't, you know, they're, they're unlikely to have the same benefit on the same, let's say, lineup in, the, in exactly that, that kind of set and run quarterback sweep. They're unlikely to have the same kind of thing happen, but that's going to get them kind of feeling along the edges to go, okay, well, that worked. Let's see if, if we do this, can we gap them this way? Uh, and gapping them, for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, the idea is that every defensive player is responsible for a gap or for two gaps if that player is two gapping, as it's called. But ultimately, you have to make sure that each gap is covered by a defensive player. And the offense can sometimes use unbalanced lines, which Cutcliffe has definitely done a lot of in the past, but use unbalanced lines, use an, uh, you know, a tight end with an, with an H-back outside him to try to screw up the normal assignments for who's got what gap in terms of alignment, because you're so used to seeing four guys on each side of the center, maybe a tight end, maybe it's balanced and you got a tight end and a, a, on each side. But what you're not going to see a bunch of is a tight is two tight ends on one side and a running back on that side. And then the quarterback is the running back. Now you've got one extra blocker compared to how defenses are normally going to line up. And so you're, you're quote unquote gapped. You, they've got one more player that's creating one more gap than what the defense is lined up to stop uh, on that side. And so, you know, you've got two guys covering a gap on one side or covering the same gap on one side, or maybe there's an extra contained player on one side and then you're gapped on the other. And that happened to him a couple times against Virginia tech and it, it costs them. That's the sort of thing that you're going to try to, you're, you're going to see Cutcliffe and Duke try to do the same thing. And Harris is a dynamic player as a runner. That said, I would rather come in, if I'm Jay Bateman, I would rather come in preparing for Duke and what Duke does and knowing that I'm going to get Quentin Harris doing what Quentin Harris does than the situation that happened last week where all of a sudden in the second half, I'm I'm seeing stuff that we really didn't prep for to the same degree. So, And also we're going to see a lot of the same kinds of things as we saw in the second half against Virginia Tech. So that's helpful. And the other thing is Virginia Tech, has one of the three best groups of receivers probably in the ACC. And they gave UNC's defensive backs all kinds of trouble. And I mean, even down to the fourth down in, in overtime, you it's a do or die. You got to get the fourth down. And they threw a fade. I mean, that tells you what they think of their receiver matchup against your corners. So that that's something that I don't think Duke is bringing into this game. And, and, and in our, in our game plan podcast last week, I know both Greg and I hammered this home that the real concern against Virginia tech is that you may not be able to cover them because of those receivers. And they're going to give you so much trouble in terms of the receivers that you can't commit the same resources to the running game. So now you're doubly screwed. And I don't think that's the same. It's the same kind of, catch 22 against Duke's offense, even though they've got a quarterback that can run and can really make plays, they're not quite the same threat in the passing game just because of the physical monsters that, that, uh, that Virginia tech put on the field. 
And so I think that helps a little bit. And I think overall, this is a better matchup for the Carolina defense. It's a great point about not really being prepared for what Virginia Tech was doing um, and why. Because I think a lot of people after that game were wondering, you know, why in the world couldn't Carolina stop that? And, you know, the Baylor game was no excuse. They knew that was coming. Um, but <laughs> and, and I still think that game was closer than it looked, Greg. I'm joking. Uh, but yeah, nope. a great explanation of last week. I'll let you go ahead and hammer me on that because I did say that after that Baylor game. But um, to Jason's point, Carolina's got to tackle better, and they've talked about that. And those are issues that, for for whatever reason, and I want your thoughts on it, is it's not a every week thing. It's like it happens this Saturday, the next Saturday, then they tackle well, and then they don't tackle well. I mean, what's going on uh, with the defense in that regard? Because Chaz Surratt goes from being just a machine. He even does it in a game. He goes from being a machine to can't tackle anybody to being a machine. Help me understand, help our listeners understand what in the world's going on there. Well, in terms of, in terms of Chas Rat, I think everybody needs to understand that this is a guy that has incredible um, skills, but he is learning the position. And that means that you're learning angles. You're learning a proper way to tackle. And so, that's going to happen. I mean, I, you know, this is this is a kid who you know, played played quarterback all of his life, and you know, when he when he made the switch to linebacker, talking with Don Callahan, I see his recruiting analyst. He said, you know, sometimes in in high school, on obvious passing downs, they would put him on the edge and be like, just go get the quarterback, and that's all he had to do. That was like his only defensive experience. So I, I think to expect him to have have that part of it down is is asking too much at this point in time. He'll he'll be a lot better um as he as he goes along. And that's one of the reasons that he hasn't graded out well. Uh, but I mean, he's got 14 missed tackles on the year. The problem is not him though. The problem is that North Carolina has 94 missed tackles on the season. Now, why is that? Uh there's there's different things to get into, I guess, but I, I think the most pressing concern is that 14 defensive players played against Virginia Tech in a game that had 85 defensive snaps. And three or four of those guys played less than 10 snaps. So you're talking about the majority of your starting lineup playing every single snap. And people ask, well, why don't you just put other guys in? Because Matt Brown wants to win right now. And if if the guys that are the backups are not ready, that's why. I mean, you have to lean on your starters. You know, the conversation in the preseason was, okay, we know Jason Strowbridge is good. We know Aaron Crawford's good. Both those guys are you know, potential NFL players. So the balancing act is, okay, if we're playing an 80-play defensive game, can we play 60 snaps with Crawford? and then get 20 snaps from Jalil Taylor and there not be that much of a drop-off because Crawford eventually is going to get tired, Taylor will be fresh. Does that even out? We know the answer to that now. Taylor has potential. Maybe down the road he's going to be a really good tackle. 
there's a big discrepancy between Aaron Crawford and Jaleel Taylor right now. That's just the fact. And so when you're in these games that come down to the wire and North Carolina has played in six games that have literally come down to the final possession, where do you get a breather there? Um, and that's, you know, against Clemson, Jay Bateman was able to steal some snaps in the first half. He did that a couple of times early in the season. He hasn't done that as much the last couple of games. I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, but by the time you get into the late third and fourth quarters, you have to rely on their starters. Uh, and so I think some of that, you're talking about fatigue. You're talking about uh, guys just kind of wearing down. Uh, and when you wear down and you get exhausted, that's when some of those missed tackles occur. And so I think that's a lot of it. I think the lack of depth, uh, this is kind of how it shows up. People say, well, where does lack of depth come in? Well, the guys get tired. And so you see some of these bad plays, and you see them kind of getting pushed off the ball a little bit late in the game. Um and yes, North Carolina's had a lot of success in the fourth quarters, but they have not been able to maintain the same level of intensity through all four quarters. Um, and give them credit because as the fourth quarter arrives, they do get some renewed life. And that's good coaching, that's good preparation, all those kind of things. Uh, but you got to have good depth throughout, to, in order for throughout the, the course of the game to have your, your, your quality of defense, your quality of offense play to a certain standard and North Carolina just does not have the bodies right now to be able to do that. And missed tackles is one of the, one of the uh, fallout components of that. There's other things involved as well in terms of getting pushed off the line of scrimmage uh, and just some, some, some breakdowns that, that inevitably uh, occur. Let me uh, take a time out for a second. Talk about johnnytshirt.com right fast. And Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street, certainly great sponsors of this podcast. Great sponsors of of Inside Carolina. We're we're out in the Bowls lot. There's Johnny T-Shirt swag out there. You need to come on Saturday. You need to go to Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street and pick up some stuff. And then you need to come down to the Bowls lot and register to win the Johnny T-Shirt football jersey and football and all that that they offer um, to our visitors in the bowls lot johnny t-shirt.com of course you can get anything you want carolina related football still huge games remaining for north carolina football so plenty of football gear you can get plenty of basketball gear i I guess uh, the exhibition season opens next friday i think and then the season starts november 6th it's absolutely insane that we're already there but johnny t-shirt online and Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. They're great and wonderful sponsors. They're great and wonderful folks for you to deal with to get all your Carolina gear. Jason, uh, let me ask you a question about the the missed tackles, but in this form. I I remember going into the Clemson game, we talked about uh, Aaron Crawford had played however many snaps. And the Clemson, I think it was 200-plus that Greg uh, said, and the Clemson starting nose had played, you know, like 90 or something. Uh, Aaron Crawford played almost that Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, or close to it. Have you ever seen Jason following this stuff and doing it? A, a starting nose tackle have to play that many snaps in a major college football game or a P5 college football game. I mean, that just seems insane. And then it, to top it off, then we're fussing about missed tackles or getting blown off the line. I mean, I just don't see how a guy can be expected to do that. I understand why he's having to, but it's kind of hard to 
have those expectations that he can perform at a high level when he's, you know, 70, 80, 90 snaps into a single ball game. Yeah. Have I seen it? Yeah. I've seen it before. Uh, you don't see it a lot, but I've definitely, I've definitely seen it. I mean, Aaron Donald used to play an absurd number of snaps up at, up at Pitt. Uh, you know, there, there've been definitely players that I've seen it happen with, but it's never good. When that's, when that's happening. And what's ideal? Well, I, ideal is that you have your starter at defensive tackle play about half the snaps. So if there's 90 snaps in a game, you want your starter playing like 45, 40. <laughs> that's ideal. And then you get your backup that plays about 35%. And then you get your third string guy that gets a few snaps in there and, and gets your, you know, the remaining... 10 to 15%. That's what you're hope that's ideal. And uh and yeah, I, I'm seeing Greg just uh just popped up the uh the numbers here that Crawford has played the third most snaps among defensive linemen in the ACC this season. He's played 400 snaps this year. And you know, that's a lot. And I I don't know what Clemson's Clemson's are. We'll look that up in a second as well, but you look at what Clemson's got and their guys are going to be pretty close to ideal, or at least if you look at like last year's Clemson team and, and one of us will look that up over the course of this, this show, but we'll look at the difference in terms of numbers of snaps for Clemson's defensive line last year. That's going to give you the ideal this year. Tyler Davis has 221. That's the most for Clemson. So that's just about half of what Crawford has. Right, which is right along the lines of what you expect. I mean, that's what I'm saying is ideal. And last year, I'm betting their starters at this point in the year were right at like 190, 200 because they had more depth. But that's what you want because that, what that means is, first of all, that means you've got a you've got a number two that you trust pretty well. And second of all, that means that when that you're able to because of that keep your number ones sort of held held back you you're, you're able to select when you want those guys to go on so that they can end a drive so that they can be completely fresh for goal line or when a team crosses a 50 and it and in the fourth quarter because really what you want is you want to start the game with those guys first drive or two and then you start really playing your twos and your threes a little bit into the fourth into the second quarter and you start the drive, let's say they start a drive on the 20, 25-yard line, that, that drive starts with your backups at defensive tackle and maybe your starters at defensive end. And then as they get to the 45, now your de starting defensive ends go off and then your starting defensive tackles come on and you're able to switch that out and then they don't cross midfield because you make a tackle for loss, something like that. That's the, that's the ideal. And one other thing that I think is a, is a factor here, by the way, for, for tackling is also you get a guy like Surratt. One of the reasons he's, he's missed as many tackles as he has is he's often trying to clean up when he's coming back and off of a bad angle when somebody else has maybe gotten washed out of a gap or something like that. When you're tackling in your gap, when you're tackling – so your offensive coordinators talk all about how you, you got to stay on schedule. You want to, you want to make sure that you succeed. You get four or five yards on first down so that you're not off schedule and teams can't load up to stop the, stop the, uh, the pass and, and, and rush the passer. You want to keep teams honest by staying on schedule. Well, defense is also in a, in, in the, a play, like as a play develops, there's on schedule. 
And that is if a team, let's say, runs the football, if everybody is in their respective gaps, let's say they run outside zone and you see that running back go to try to find wherever the seam is and he can't find the seam and then it gets stretched out, stretched out. And then you see somebody kind of shoot through and make the tackle in their gap. That's on schedule. It's off schedule when you see a guy bust through the line of scrimmage and then you see a linebacker come screaming over and making a tackle sort of on the side or, or, or coming from behind to make a tackle on a guy that's actually already made, made it through somebody else's gap. And, and that's where a lot of Carolina's tackles have come where they've done a great job of, for the most part on the season of not giving up a bunch of big plays where they're basically, okay, well, you might get an eight, eight, your eight or 10 yard play. You might get a 12 yard run, but not a ton of 40, 45 yard plays. Well, a lot of that is, is you can see that reflected in the numbers of missed tackles because guys are, are missing tackles in pursuit or when they're trying to compensate for somebody else, not quite being able to, to handle their blocking the the blocker in front of them. And you're going to get more misses as a result of that. So that's part of the factor right now. And again, that's, that's to somewhat related to the fatigue issue when you've got a guy that if he's playing 45 snaps a game is going to be kicking tail when he's playing 90, get 90 snaps a game, he's hanging on for dear life. And sometimes he's just not going to be in that, that gap. And so that's, I think, a big factor here. I would love to look at the numbers last year for Clemson on the season. And they played, what, 15 games. I'd love to see how, you know, their number or their top line defensive linemen, how many snaps they played all year. That'd be an interesting comparison to see what's going on. I mean, I I don't think think folks understand um, how taxing it is. And maybe they do, and they still expect guys to make every tackle. I think the big one, um, you know, the, the the ones that are most obvious are the ones we see a lot. And, Greg, uh, I'll turn to Miles Dorn. He's – we've talked about him on the message boards. He's He looks good at times, but he, his grades are, are not good. And um, he's a guy that I think's done a lot of cleaning up for others, maybe to his own personal detriment. But your thoughts there? I mean, Dorn's got to be better the remaining part of the season. Got to be better starting Saturday. Yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to ask Jason, uh, just for his his keen eye on on how how these things play out. Miles Dorn is in this unique situation where he is the senior leader in the secondary, one of the leaders on the team. Uh, and the secondary has just been uh, decimated by injury. I mean, you've got four likely starters that are out now. Um, and so it's really his job to keep that entire group together. And Jay Bateman's talked about that. He, he's really tasked with saying, okay, you got to be here and you got to be here. And sometimes he's having the cover. Um, and you know, we use pro football focus. Uh, I really enjoy it. It gives you a lot of unique looks into how people play, how teams scheme. Um, snap counts, all these types of things, missed tackles. So there's a lot of benefit to it. But there's also a very subjective part of it in terms of uh, viewing a play, and you have to kind of assume what a player is supposed to be doing. And one of the things that you know, John Papucha said last year is that he liked pro football focus. He thought there's a lot of a good elements to it. But how do the guys watching the film know exactly what a player is supposed to be doing? And so you mentioned his poor grades. 
I mean, I'm looking at them now, and out of the entire uh, Division One level, so talking about 315 teams, Miles Dorn for for safeties uh, that have played, I think 250 snaps. He is 237th out of 244 players in that regard. Um, that's not good. He's he's third worst in terms of grade in the uh, Power Five conferences. Not not good whatsoever. So uh, the question I have for Jason is, having said all that, in your review of game film through seven games, has he been that bad, or is he really trying to help? Is it a mix of both? How would you, how do you see that? So I think it's somewhere in between. I mean, I I've been a little disappointed with him, particularly in, in, in some situations in terms of open field tackling at times where he's had a few opportunities. Again, not necessarily in the best angles, but times where he's he's been broken down in in the open field, uh, and then he's missed some coverage at times where you'd like to see him, let's say he's got a, a a deep route and you'd like to see him maybe come off that, come off of the deep responsibility and come underneath and recognize what's happening a little quicker. So there are times where he's just a little slower than what I'd like, but I would certainly not. So I'm looking also at, at the, at the pro football focus grades right now, and he's 29th out of 30 in terms of defensive grades on the UNC team. And I can tell you right now that if you ask Jay Bateman whether Miles Dorn has graded out the worst in their in-house grades, I can tell you right now that's not the case. That that's not going to be the case. He, he you know, he's has he been what you would hope for him to be as a senior, as a guy that actually has NFL potential no not really there have been there have been there have been some breakdowns that you wouldn't like to see but I don't think that you're looking at a situation where teams are teams are circling Miles Dorn and saying oh yeah that guy that guy's a weakness for him let's target him so it's sort of it's sort of in between for me uh again I I it's Again, you you flagged the really hard part of this is that there are times, and I've said this in a couple of my breakdowns, I don't know the defensive call here. Sometimes I can get confirmation on what the call is, and that helps me. But if I don't know the defensive call, I'm saying, well, I think, and, and there was one of these this week where on the goal line, when they punched it in on that final two-point conversion, I'm going, well, I'm somebody's misaligned here because there's a gap that's empty. <laughs> somebody's got to have this gap and somebody's mis- misaligned. It's possible that that's Miles Dorn. Maybe he's got to be flipped over to the other side. It's also possible that the, that the, that the linebackers should have been slid over a gap or two. I can't know that unless I actually know the play call. But you, ha- if you're pro football focused, you have to put a grade down for somebody. and. That part is, like you said, there's some subject to, subjectivity to it. And the other thing is that their grading system is such that if, if you have a really bad play, it's going to really hurt you. If, you. if you just do your job each time, then okay, that's, that's going to get you like in that average range, you know, 50 or 60 area once you factor in a couple misses. And I think 
for the most part, what we've seen from Dorn this year is a lot of, for the most part, doing his job, sometimes trying to clean up for other people. And I think that's part of where some of his mistakes have come in is him trying to clean up when somebody else has not been able to do their thing. And then he gets in a situation where it may look like a missed assignment, but you see why it's a missed assignment. So I think it's a little bit more complicated. And that's why you have to always take the pro football focus grades with a little bit of a grain of salt. I mean, they're useful on the aggregate, but on the individual player level, sometimes I think it gets uh, it gets a little bit more complicated, and he's one of them. By the way, I did look up the Clemson numbers from last year. So looking at their defensive line from last year, the defensive linemen that played the most snaps for them last year, and this is 15 games. So double the number of games plus one that Carolina has played was Cleland Furl, who had 694. So you could just say 700 snaps. Now, when you go to the interior players, then Christian Wilkins is the guy that had the most snaps, and he had 624. So roughly another 220 snaps in 15 games. Add, uh, add 220 snaps on what Crawford has so far through seven. It's <laughs> incredible. And yeah, so that's your Jimmy's and Joe's hundred percent. And and that's what we talked about before the season is, is the, the real test for North Carolina was going to be, can they, especially as they get into the second half of the year, have enough depth on the defensive line to where, and the only reason, by the way, Strobridge hasn't played that many snaps is because he got hurt. But is there a way to uh, is there a way to have somebody that's good enough to give them enough rest that you can have at least a little bit of freshness from Crawford and Strobridge in the second half of the year? Otherwise, it's going to be really, really tough sledding. And so far, the answer to that question is no. They haven't been able to take them off the field. And then the real question is, can they stay healthy in the second half of the year so that they can actually at least be out there? And that's really hard the more the snaps add up. And that's where what you start doing in practice as a coach is you basically start having those guys sit out a lot in practice in terms of how much they're actually out there. You, mental reps, son. Once you get into scrimmage situations or once you get into uh, into team, you're, you're having those guys sit and, and the other guys are playing because you're trying to save them for the games. And and actually, Greg, you do bring up a, a good point. We're we're always messaging back and forth uh, while we're while we're doing these podcasts. Dorn did have he was part of a busted coverage on that fifty five yard touchdown at Virginia Tech. And again, that's one that's going to go. I think in in the way Pro Football Focus grades it, if I remember right, that's going to go as like a minus two, right? Whereas zero is yep. your default. Well, that's a minus two, and so that's going to hurt. But he wasn't, by the way, the only person that busted on that either. So. Uh, you know, that was, I, I'm remembering uh, loosely here because it's been a week since I, I looked at that play uh, and I didn't break it down with the all 22, but my, my initial impression is that there were two guys that busted on that play. And there was, it's just a bad mis, a miscommunication in the secondary because you had a wheel and you've got to, you've got to communicate there. And again, depending on how that's coached, which guy's actually responsible for taking the, uh, for, for taking the vertical it can be different. And, and, you know, I, I got, uh, 
Uh, you know, those of you out there who listen to this, most of you know that I also do some work covering Florida State, my alma mater. And uh, I had uh, one of my old teammates who's a GA at Florida State. I made I, I made a comment about Florida State covering wheel routes on on something and they should have they should have been able to handle this better in this particular coverage. And he and I got a text like 10 minutes later that was like, we're coaching it this way. This is the, he did it right. And this is just how we're coaching it. And he's got and, and the backer has to pick it up this way on that particular wheel. It's like, oh, well, normally in quarters, wouldn't you do it this way? And he goes, yeah, well, that's one way to do it. But we're coaching it this way. So he didn't bust. It was actually the backer and he had to get over top like, oh, and listen, I know their defense pretty well, but that's just a finer point of like, oh, so you're in terms of technique in the red zone, in this particular coverage against that formation, you're telling the backer that he has to get out over the top on this and not the corner because you're worried about this and you'd coach that that way that week. Well, if I'm if I'm grading for pro football focus and I'm going to do a better job than most people because I know that defense, I missed that. I, I, I would have assigned the wrong grade to the wrong player there. Good take. Let's take a short break, come back. Let's talk about Carolina's offense going against Duke's defense on Saturday in Keenan Stadium. We'll be right back. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. We're back with Inside Carolina Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. Dot com the game plan podcast i'm tommy ashley jason staples and greg barnes greg a lot of talk this week about the numbers sam howe continues to put up um i, I think we're in the situation where he's got to keep it up um you know carolina scores 41 points saturday still got a issue with the way that game ended as far as the two-point conversion deal but howe has been fantastic but some people still aren't 
happy enough with his performance and or they have issues with the play calling, which, you know, it is what it is. What What's Carolina's approach Saturday against Duke? Everybody on the message board hollers, run the ball more. Um, I'm at this point where, like Jason said last week, I think with Buck and I, it's an air raid offense. They're going to throw it. So more of the same uh, for Sam Howell and for the running backs you think on Saturday? Uh, I don't know if I'd say more of the same. I mean, like I said earlier, these next three games are against legit defenses. Um, and so I don't think I don't think this is one of those games you can say, ah, well, their secondary sucks, so you just you can pass on them. Or their front seven's really bad, just run on them. It's not that kind of game. Uh, th- this is a really good defense. I mean, there, there's a reason they've had the success they've had. Uh, they're very balanced in terms of you know, they, they do a good job against the, the pass, and they also do a pretty good job uh, against the run. And I, I think the, the big question for Duke coming into this year, we knew they were going to be good in the secondary. We knew they had some pretty good guys in the middle up front. But what were they going to be able to do off the edge? Uh, and they've actually been really good off, off the edge. Uh, you know, Chris Rump's not even starting. Uh, and if you look at you know, his pro football focus grades, one of the top kids in the ACC um, as, as a defensive end. And so I really think that's going to be the key is that, okay, well, let me say this first. Anybody criticizing Sam Howell doesn't understand what, what it takes for a true freshman to have the success that he's had. He's dealing with an offensive line that is young and inexperienced. That's had you know, breakdowns at various points of games. Uh, he he struggled early in the year against two really good defenses in Miami and South Carolina uh, when he was under pressure. But if you look at his numbers since then, he's gotten dramatically better, and that's what you expect to see as as guys get experience. You know, anybody that's decent as a quarterback can be successful when they're clean. Right. What separates the good from the average is guys that when they're under pressure, can they keep their eyes up? Can they move around in the pocket and buy time and still make good throws? Well, Howell's proven he can do that. And he's gotten better over the course of the year. So, you know, from my vantage point, and I don't uh, clearly I don't have the, the knowledge base and the understanding of the game that the Jason does. I don't know how you can criticize Sam Howell for what he's done. I mean, sure, he's made some mistakes, but as a true freshman to do what he's done has just been phenomenal. And I think Phil Longo has done a really good job bringing him along. Has he been perfect? Of course not. I mean, you, you know, you're not going to be perfect in terms of your play calling. You're calling 95 plays in a game like they did against Virginia Tech. There's going to be a couple that you wish you had back. That's, that's, that's how it goes. Um, but I think both of them have done a very good job this year. And I maintain that you know without Sam Howe, Carolina's probably you know one in six right now. Um, but having said that, for this particular game, I really think it's going to be a matter of you know, David Cutcliffe and, and their defensive staff is going to want to put pressure on Howe because they know that he is really good when he's kept clean. Um, so typically, you know, if you're able to get pressure with your front four, that's going to be a game changer. But if you're having to bring pressure by taking people out of coverage, that's kind of the the you know the the puzzle aspect of it. You know, are you willing to sacrifice to get pressure without getting beat? 
Um, and so I really think this is a game about the offensive line. And we say that all the time about the, the ground game. Uh, but if the offensive line is able to play well, and you know, they played six guys against Virginia Tech. And we know this week you know, Joshua Zudu uh, was elevated to the starting position there at left guard. He had you know, some problems late, but apparently he played better than uh, Ed Montalus, and they thought that was the move they needed to make. Uh, you know, the right side of the line in terms of the grades has been pretty solid all year long. Uh, Charlie Heck's been good, but when you start talking about Brian Anderson and that left guard position, that's been where some of the weakness has been. So I really think the offensive line is going to tell the tale for this game. If they are solid, that would be great. Just be solid and protect your quarterback. Give him time to throw and also give your running backs some opportunities. You can move the ball down the field and maybe hit on an explosive play or two. And because Duke's offense is not great, that can put some pressure on them. But I do not think this is a game where it's easy enough to say, well, you you can just pass it all day or you can just run it all day. Duke's too good for that defensively. Uh, and so this is going to be a, a test for Phil Longo. And as I said earlier, I keep saying it, these next three weeks, we're really going to get a chance to see how good Phil Longo actually is. I'll make it simple. Anybody that's remotely critical of Sam Howell's lost a damn mind. And I saw somebody say that, Sam Howell would be really good if he had a better OC. I'm like, I mean, how much better can the kid be? Jason, uh, you've thrown up some stats on our in-game chat here. Like Greg said, Duke's defense is legit, and I'm not sure. um, The the people that say Carolina should beat Duke every year, I I don't think they quite understand that Duke's no pushover uh, just because they're named Duke. Run with those stats uh, that you were showing us and dig into it a little more. Yeah, so first and foremost, if you want to run the football, just they got to run it more. Well, let's keep in mind, Virginia Tech, going into that game, Virginia Tech was, was giving up about four yards per carry versus Power 5 offenses. And after the UNC game, so including UNC's effort against them, 4.13 yards per carry so far this season. This season. That's not awful. It's not great. But that's what Virginia, that's, that's the defense you faced last week, giving up 4.13 yards per carry. Duke is giving up 3.38 yards per carry against Power 5 teams. That's a lot better. And, you know, it's going to be a whole lot harder to, uh, to, to run the football against, against Duke. I mean, you're looking at, that's, basically about 20% better defensively against the run than what Virginia Tech is. And there wasn't a ton of space to run the ball against Virginia Tech, especially in the second half. Uh, Greg, I, I remember uh, put up a, a stat in the, uh, in the postgame, in the, in the postgame scoop, where it was something like 20, 25 yards on 23 carries or something like that in the second half. Is yep. that right? Yep. I, I mean... <laughs> If you're if you're running it for 25 yards on 23 carries, and you're telling me that you should run it more, then I'm questioning your judgment in terms of how well you understand play calling and off and, and coordination of an offense. I, I think Mike Leach's approach is the right one here, which is to say, if you want to know how balanced you need to be, whether you're in balance or out of balance, what you need to look at is you need to look at the correlation between your rushing yard 
per play average and your passing yards per play average, and then take into account the probability of turnovers based on what you've got in terms of quarterback and, and running backs. And if you're, run, if you're running the ball for eight yards a carry, then you're probably not running it enough. If you're running the ball for four yards a carry, you might be running it too much. Well, against Virginia Tech, if anything, they might have been running it too much at, at, at a certain point. Now, I do think that you can criticize, and I did criticize, a couple of the, the play calls in overtime where they had an opportunity where the running game did have a couple plays work, and then they got inside the 15, inside the 11-yard line, and didn't try to run. And I thought in a couple cases that was a mistake. I thought that at the time just because of the flow of the game, and I thought they had a couple things there. But again, Virginia Tech was stacking the line, so it's a hard thing to really criticize that that much. Here's the, here's the other thing, though, that's a bit of a problem when you're facing Duke. So I talked about earlier how I don't think Duke's offense is as much of a problem for Virginia Tech's defense or for as, as that Duke's offense. I don't think Duke's offense is as much of a problem for Carolina's defense as Virginia Tech's offense was going in. But I think Duke's defense is a lot better than Virginia Tech's. Because when you look at the the passing side of things, Virginia Tech's given up 149.5 passer rating against the Power 5. And that includes giving up a 146 against uh against Howell. So actually Howell's passer rating against Virginia Tech was just slightly lower than what Virginia Tech's season average was against Boston College, Duke, and Miami, which is something. That means that they've been really bad against against the pass. But Duke, they're giving up a passer rating of 125.32. Again, that's about 30%, 40% better. So in terms of where that's going to fall nationally. So not only are they a lot better against the run, they're significantly better and more sound against the pass. They're going to give up fewer big plays and they're going to give up fewer gimmies and they're more likely to get their hands on the football. So this is a tough matchup. This is a much more difficult matchup for, for North Carolina offensively, or at least looks like it going in. And, you know, when you watch it, when you watch the two teams, it looks that way. I think this is a much tougher matchup for North Carolina's offense than Virginia Tech was. But I think Virginia, I think Virginia Tech's offense was harder for North Carolina's defense. So I don't think it completely washes out because I think Duke's a better football team than Virginia Tech. But we shall see because they did get spanked pretty good last week, and you hope that maybe they bring the same, the same uh, basic efficiency to Chapel Hill that they that they had last week against Virginia. Well, let's talk about that though because if you look. Again, it's weird how some of these things play out because uh, Virginia Tech was kind of like this, looking at the, the numbers coming in. But in, in Duke's three losses, they have turned the ball over 14 times. In their four wins, they've turned it over twice. Uh, they There's are a good correlation neg- there. Yeah, they are negative seven turnover margin in their three losses. They're plus two in their four wins. Um, that's very simplistic, I know, but that explains why you're talking about games that are you know, 42 to three in favor of Bama. Granted, it's Bama, and then 48-14 in favor of Virginia. I mean, Duke turned it over five times against Virginia. 
and I'm, I'm a big Bronco fan. I think Virginia's good. I don't think the the difference between Virginia and, and Duke is you know, 34 points. That's just kind of how some of these play out. But the turnovers has been a, a big issue for, for that Blue Devil offense, and that's one of the reasons they've they've got three losses thus far. I'm going to jump in with one more thing since Greg brought that up about the turnovers. There's a reason that those turnovers happened in those losses. All you wow. got to do is look at their yards per carry in those three games or in those, uh, what, uh, yeah, those three games. The teams that were able to limit Duke in the running game and force them to throw the football when they were off schedule, they forced some interceptions. Alabama held them to 3.3 yards per, per rush. Pittsburgh held them to 2.8 yards per rush. And Virginia held them to 3.22 yards per rush. Seven interceptions in those three games. Yep. If you can stop the run against Duke and make them throw, and make them throw when you want them to throw, you'll have some chances at some interceptions. You'll have some chances at some mistakes in the passing game. It, to me, this game boils down to can you stop Duke's running game to be able to control that side of the ball? And if you can, you're going to be in the game. I think that's 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 the big thing in this game. Well, if it plays out like it has all year, it's going to be a one-possession game regardless unless somebody goes nuts. Greg pointed out when we were talking about Duke's uh, defensive prowess, that includes a game against some team called Alabama as well. And uh, I think folks need to remember that. Greg, let me ask you one more question, and then we're going to get into our predictions. A lot of folks lament that Javante Williams doesn't play enough or doesn't get enough snaps or whatever. Um, I I just – whoever's out there needs to perform the way I look at it, and maybe they're right. But in your opinion, I'll put you on the spot a little bit, why why is the disparity in carries some games um, a little wopsided in favor of Michael Carter? And and is it a – uh, blitz pickup issue. It, does that play any? Do, does protecting the quarterback play any role in that? Do you think? Well, for sure. Michael Carter has had very good numbers in terms of pass blocking this year. Uh, I think that that for sure has a has a lot to do with it. Um, I mean, looking at the numbers here, he's he's number two on the team in terms of pass blocking on the year, seventy six point nine, uh, and that's with the sixty three you opportunities in in pass blocking. So certainly that's, that's a big part of it. Uh, Javante Williams has not been bad, but has not been as good as, as Michael Carter. Uh, But, but I think it's important to kind of lay out how this thing works. If you go back to, you know, the, the pivotal game for, for Larry Fedora in 2015, of course, South Carolina, everybody was like, Oh, how do you not give the ball to Elijah hood in the red zone? And it was a legitimate question. And what did Fedora say that ticked everybody off? Well, I don't know who's in the game. That's, that's not me. That's the running backs coach. <laughs> and it was Larry Porter decided you know, how he wanted to manage his rotation. That's not uncommon, but he felt that Elijah Hood in that particular game uh, and on that drive especially had gotten too many snaps, and so they needed to the, rotate him out. Well, you know, when when – uh, Phil Longo was asked about that this week. What'd he say? So the exact same thing. So, you know, Robert Gillespie, I trust him with the running backs. We know we have three really good ones. Uh, and so I'll let him handle that rotation. 
And so a couple of things that we know is that Antonio Williams has been uh, injured, kind of been battling, hadn't been 100% last couple of weeks. I guess Virginia Tech, they finally felt like he was back to 100%. Michael Carter has had a lot of success. And you know, Javante Williams, we, we know that he, he is a punishing running back. Uh, I think a lot of us that like the, the physical aspect of the game really enjoy his style of running. But Carter's a guy that, uh, you know, if he gets free, he can do a lot of damage. He can, he can, he can you know, score a home run basically every single play. Uh, and I have to imagine that combined with his, his pass blocking ability is why he's the number one guy. And then Antonio Williams, because he's finally healthy, he was able to get some of those twos. Matt, a good friend of mine texted me in the first half. Is like, is Javante hurt? What's the deal? And I'm like, I don't think he's hurt. Uh, but we'll have to see. And, of course, Javante got more reps late in the game. That's the challenge, though, for Gillespie, because you do have three good backs. And you kind of have to fill them out. You kind of have to see who has the hot hand. I mean, Carter had some really good numbers against Virginia Tech. It's kind of hard to criticize him playing. Uh, and Javante did more late, so I don't know how you I don't know how you balance it. I don't know how you you do that to make everybody happy when you've got three legitimate backs. And I get that kind of gets into you know, in the preseason we knew they were going to do some two back sets, which is a little bit different than what Longo maybe traditionally has done. And we even heard that they were going to try to utilize some three back sets. And I don't know if it's because of Antonio's injuries that we haven't seen that, and maybe we'll see that moving forward. That speaks to how how much trust and belief they have in those running backs, uh, but it really is kind of a challenge making sure you have the right guy on the field in the right time. And so, with that comes some criticism when when things don't play out the way you want them to. And my impression my impression has been that they've, as a staff, and they they haven't said anything about this, but just based on how they've employed these backs from the beginning, my impression has been that they've wanted. Javante to be fresh in the fourth quarter because they've really gone to him. I mean, you look at, at at the distribution and I haven't actually looked at the, at the actual numbers here, but just going off of my impression in each game, Javante Williams gets the bulk of the carries in the fourth quarter in every game, at least as far as I can recall. And he's had a lot of success as a fresh and very physical back in the fourth quarter. And the question is, if you flip that around and he's getting more carries early, is he going to have the same level of effectiveness late? I, I think that there's some method to the madness here in terms of letting Carter do some of his work a little bit early and then having Williams rotate in. And then ultimately late in games, more often than not, it's, it's Javante who's coming in and kind of he's there in the finisher role. And I think there's, there's some value to that. And, and again, I don't think they've said anything about that. I don't know whether there's actually been discussions within the coaching staff that that's how they're going to do it, but it sure has looked like that all year. Yeah, I, I think I think there's some truth to that. I think that, especially against Virginia Tech, he came in late. I, I thought he should have gotten more touches late. I thought he should have gotten some in the overtimes. Let's flip to the predictions, and this is a tough one. Um Jason, you've already mentioned it's a tough one. I can't remember what I did preseason. Greg probably has it. He has stats everywhere. Um, but I will go to Jason first. Let's get your prediction on Carolina and Duke. It's another one of those uh, Tommy must-win games for Carolina, but how's it play <laughs> out? 
<laughs> yeah, we've had a few of those uh, this season, and uh, n- n- at this point, we're 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 down on the must wins. So, uh, <laughs> if they'd win one of them, they'd become less must. But go yeah, ahead. Have, have they won one of your must wins yet? South Carolina. Maybe you need to. I was going to say maybe you need to stop designating these games as must wins. <laughs> really. But uh, you know, I think that this is this is pretty much a coin flip game in my in my book. I think North Carolina is a little bit better team overall, especially when you look at the two quarterbacks and you take that into account. But matchup wise, because of how banged up they've been defensively and and how many snaps their interior have, have played, I think this game really does come down to can you stop Duke's running game enough to really force Duke into, into making some mistakes and force Duke off schedule so that they have to throw the football because as much as it's nice to have a quarterback that can run, you know, what's better than a quarterback that can run quarterback that can really throw the ball. And I don't think Quentin Harris is really one of those guys. I mean, he's, he's been pretty good this year, but those six interceptions have come at inopportune times and in games where they've not been able to run the football and I think it boils down to that. I think North Carolina is going to be able to hold their own offensively because of the growth of, of Howell. I think uh, he's going to, he, they're going to be able to find some plays even against that Duke defense. I'm going to go with North Carolina winning this game. I think it's going to be a close game. I think this is going to be one that's going to be real fun. I'm going to go with North Carolina 27-24 in this game. And like I said, it's, it's pretty close to a coin flip in my book. All right, Greg. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm right there with him. I, I had it at 28, 24 Carolina. <laughs> um, so that's, that's funny. I actually had it written down. So people don't think I'm, I'm piggybacking off of Jason, which I, I sometimes do I admit. Uh, but I want to, I want people to understand somebody posted on the board this week and I'm not picking on this poster by any stretch, but I, I want to illustrate the, uh, this dynamic. Uh, if you look at the ESPN FPI, it has North Carolina favored to win the next five games. And so this fan said, you know, North Carolina's favored to win out. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not how this works. So <laughs> North Carolina is a three and a half point favorite in this game. Home favorites who are you know, 3.5 point favorites. When, just over 59% of the time. Uh, and it's going to be the same way next week because that's, you know, Virginia may be favored next week. And then Pitt, I assume Pitt will be favored up there. But these are like legitimate toss-up games. So if North Carolina can get through these next three games at 2-1, and one, that is a huge win. That is like a surprise if they, they can get to 2-1. and one. That, is, they, that is a big achievement. Uh, but this is you know, maybe not 50-50. This is 60-40 game. And so it, you know, turnovers, I think, is a big key. I agree completely with Jason. The difference in this game, the reason I picked North Carolina to win this game is because North Carolina has a legitimate quarterback who can throw the ball and has proven this year, even though he's a true freshman, you, he has not – seen a moment that is too big for him. And in the fourth quarter, he has been fantastic. And that's the only reason why. 
Uh, every other aspect of this game, I think, is pretty much a wash. But Hal has proven that he can make big play after big play when he needs to, and that's why I'm giving North Carolina this win. I do think it's going to be very competitive. If Duke is able to force turnovers, Duke will win this game. If Carolina plays clean like they've they've had the tendency to do this year, they'll win the game. Um, but I think this is going to be a very close game. I think it's going to be a very good game. Uh, and I, I think it'll be a, a very fun one to watch. Well, let's think of a score I can pick. Uh, you know I had Carolina 36-33 <laughs> over Virginia oh, I, Tech. I thought you were going to pick 27.5 to 24, Tommy. Well, I'm not there yet. I might. But uh, if Carolina scores the touchdown in overtime, they win 37-34, which is pretty damn close to 36-33. <laughs> um, which I was saying, they're going to do it. They're going to they're gonna, – I'm going to get this pick. Anyway, Carolina and Duke, you know, Duke worries me as far as facing Carolina. They did when Larry Fedora is the coach. Mike Brown, uh, it's different for him. And Wake Forest and App State, you know, they didn't play well in either one of those games, and they lost both those games. But I think Duke is different. I think Kenan Stadium will be electric. And I agree with you, Greg. Sam Howell has been fantastic when it mattered. I'm going to pick Carolina, even though I will not lie, I am waffling heavily. I'm going to pick Carolina 30 to 28 in another <laughs> ridiculously, I almost said 29, uh, another ridiculous close ball game for Carolina. The uh, What would that be? The eighth out of nine or seventh out of eight close yep, games. Something eight. ridiculous. Yep. Um, I said – Earlier in the season, Carolina fans needed a good heart doctor, and they continue to prove it week in and week out. I think they'll do it again in Keenan Stadium. Boys, it's been fun. It's been a long show. I hope folks have enjoyed it. Greg, we'll see you in the Bowls lot Saturday. Jason, I know you won't be down there, but folks may hear a little bit of this podcast on our Inside Carolina Countdown to kick off. But that'll do it for this one. Boys, I do appreciate y'all taking the time. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.